0: About 18 months ago, uh, our general director came to my office and he said, Rob, uh, we'd like you to take on the multimedia dimension of uh, our work. And we'd had a few changes and a guy had, uh, who was handling that area had uh, uh, moved on to start his own business and so I thought, oh no, okay, oh yes, and I said, oh yes, I want to you know, do what I can for uh, what we're, we're seeking to do as an organisation. in in uh, communicating the message of mission, but how do you go about it? How do you go about it in a creative way? I thought, oh, we need a celebrity. We need a celebrity because all the, you know, those big organisations, those big companies, they all have a celebrity. But I checked it out. They pay big money. I thought, we're a mission organisation. We can't pay big money, so we need to create our own celebrity. So we picked this young guy off. It was sort of like a reality tee of mission presenter. We thought we'd take someone basically out of the pew and sort of just see if they could cut it as a mission presenter. And so we created Ben. Well, we, we recruited Ben. We discovered him at a wedding. And uh, today he's becoming a Baptist celebrity right across Australia. This month of May, this guy will be hitting you know, hundreds of churches. And this guy is now a national Baptist celebrity. His name is Ben Catford. And he's going to feature now. He's on this morning. Some of you would have seen him uh, featuring the Friends of the Thai. He's already been in Friends of Cambodia Tonight we're going to see Friends of the Yow. We're working on at the moment Friends of Bangladesh and we've already shot Friends of the Kazakh, Friends of the Way and uh, something else which I can't recall. But here we have Friends of the Yow. So let's fire it up and uh, then we'll go from there.
1: Africa. What images does that word conjure up in your mind? Wide open plains? Well, you'd be wrong. The one I flew on was quite narrow and all the windows were sealed. Deceiving, isn't it? But I digress. Let me tell you about the Yao. The Yao are a people group mainly found in Malawi and Mozambique in southern Africa. They're a Muslim tribe in a majority Christianised region. Today they are stricken with disease and poverty and many are ultra poor, living off less than 70 cents a day.
2: Around 30% of the population in some places actually are HIV positive. So HIV has had an enormous impact and that's probably why the main reason why people die so young.
3: I don't think you ever really get used to it. They go to the hospital, their child's really sick with malaria, they're told to come back on Monday. If they wait till Monday their child's dead or otherwise they go to the hospital and they come back and all they've got is Panadol great, right, you know, what good's Panadol to malaria, so
2: it's, it's pretty awful.
3: Just by throwing things at it, it's not going to solve the poverty. Some people are reluctant to actually get ahead, you know, even in farming, because they know that if they get ahead, then they know for sure that their relatives will come and, and, uh, and take it.
1: GIA placed its first team members among the Yao in the mid-90s. They have worked hard at understanding the Yao language and culture, building relationships and responding with compassion. Today they have teams in Mozambique and Malawi and the unique way they are working is making a difference.
4: We're not about handing out stuff. We're helping people get a greater yield from their land and to conserve their land. We're starting to look at programs that help people live healthy defensive lifestyles, how to make informed decisions. Sure, it's about Heaven and eternity and salvation, if you want to use those words. But it begins here. It begins with life on earth. Hey,
1: do you remember in the mid-90s when Hillsong released Shout to the Lord? And by about 1997 it had reached its world domination? Shout to the Lord never made it here. But one man did. Does the name Franz Ferdinand ring a bell? Well, he flies one. A Bell 511 helicopter. This dude from Belgium was so cool. What he used to do would be to wake up in the morning, pray over his map for a couple of locations, then fly his great big chopper into a village. He'd walk in, preach a barnstorming sermon, look for a show of hands, count his conversions, and then he'd pick one of them to lead the group. Then he'd run out and fly to the next village. That's evangelism taken to the next step.
3: Good on you, Belgium. For the year to become Christians, I think is uh, almost impossible. But I think for the Yao to become followers of Jesus, I think it's a great possibility. I make that distinction because over the time, there's been people who've tried, who tried to make the Yao Christians. And for most people here, being a Christian is actually a shift in your culture, not just your beliefs. You know, I don't want to be, just be out there talking to the wind. It's sort of a tightrope that we walk in a sense of presenting the gospel in a way that we get an opportunity to be heard, using their language, using their symbolism, in a form that's acceptable to them. Not that we're changing the gospel, but that they can understand, they can actually have a hearing of it.
4: Uh, basically, what we want is people to understand the relationship of God. And that's what people are making a shift to. They're quite amazed. Uh, see, within Islam, there is no understanding of God being a relational God. That God is very distant and is very far away. And the fact that God wants to have relationship, they're blown away by that. That is amazing. And that's, and that's the desire of their heart. That's what they'd want more than anything. I told a friend my story of how, how I got to know Jesus and who he was. And I told him just all the things that he did in my life. And uh, he was amazed and he said, that's good news. Like, he didn't know that the gospel was called good news. He, he just heard it as an adjective, that it describes something that was really good news, something that really was, this is amazing, something that was good. And he said, that's good news. And he wanted that. And, uh, and I agreed, I said, yeah, that is good news, isn't it?
1: I always get inspired and my heart warms when Christians gather together, stand united, and start a building fund. But our favourite pastime has been stolen by Islam. They too want a piece of the real estate game. Muslims all around the world are joining together, digging deep, and colouring in those giant money thermometers with red texture. Their plan? To build one mosque
2: every 10 kilometres where the Yao live for the past 10 years there's been a rapid expansion of Islam. There's increasingly more and more mosques being built in every village. Islam is on the rise because it's coming down from the north from North Africa it's moving south like Islam has a vision for the whole of the continent of Africa so Malawi is sort of in the middle. It's, it's, it's moving south so Malawi is a strategic place as they continue to push south with spreading the message of Islam. <laughs> The Muslim
1: world is slowly squeezing the out to conform to a more orthodox form of Islam. Like old school mission approaches, they're offering incentives like clean water and free medication. The good thing about GIA is that they're not interested in surface level change. It's all about relationships, enabling the out to understand God's love and encounter Christ at the deepest level.
4: You can hand out anything, they'd take it. You could actually, in a lot of ways, tell people about a jolly green martian that wanted to come down to earth and uh, um, wanted to live in your house and they might just say yes Great. because um, there might be a connection between you and 20 US dollars a month mm. that might just really make a difference so that would be a real openness to you
2: here at GIA we're not concerned about building the work upon us upon the foreigners working here our idea is to help and to see people come to faith and then disciple them and actually help those disciples actually go out and and continue to spread the message and plant faith communities.
4: We're not going to be here forever, we're not going to make a career of these people that we've got a job to do ourselves out of. That's what I see all mission and ministry as because what you're trying to do is allow people to stand on their own two feet before God in their own relationship without you hanging around telling them how to do it.
3: The bottom line is, well, the whole reason we're here is because we're wanting to do something about it. So we keep the bigger picture in mind as well. We might not be able to help every single individual, but if we can help a community of people to be empowered to help themselves, then that's the whole reason we're here.
1: The GIA team have an end in sight, a time when they will come home. But until then, they need our help. They need people to join the effort, prepared to do the hard yards here amongst the Yao. Their vision is to establish 50 genuine faith communities and to significantly improve the life situation of a people group who need it most.
0: Despite the incredible uh, differences in culture, in, uh, in poverty, in language, in, uh, in the colour of skin, as you travel around parts of Asia and Africa, there's one overwhelming uh, impression that stays with you, and that is the expansion of Islam. That is the fact that mosque after mosque is being built through much of our world today, and it's right on our doorstep in Asia and Africa. As we look at the GIA, the areas of the world where global interaction is working, that is the case. If we're thinking about mission as we are tonight, about mission in the 21st century, we've got to think about Islam. Islam is on the rise. Islam is on the rise universally and it's uh, something that we must grapple with. And yet the devastating reality is that less than 2% of all of our resources are being expended on creative mission amongst Muslims. A few, few, only just over two workers per million people are set aside by the church To work amongst Muslims. This is a devastating reality in how we are working as as people who are Christians. When we think of mission in the 21st century, we also must think of HIV AIDS. In Malawi alone, the UN have reported that 810,000 people aged 15 to 49 were victims of HIV AIDS. And the accompanying death rates, this country, this means this country alone has half a million orphans. When we think of mission in the 21st century, we think of Islam. We think of HIV-AIDS and the devastating poverty that sits along with it. And we could go on. What's our response? How do we respond to this context that we face? How do we approach it? Well, I want to take away 20. I want to take away 20 from 21 and say it's one. Because the answer is nothing new under the sun. It's the first century. We've got to go back to the first century context and grapple with what happened for the early believers. And the first thing I want to suggest is that first century believers had an incredible experience of Jesus. So if we're going to be involved in mission in the 21st century, we need a first century experience of Christ. Think about uh, Peter. That guy, uh, I sometimes see him, I can relate to him at times, uh, sometimes known to put his mouth into it. Um, sometimes a bit fearful, sometimes a bit scared. Very much part, very human in many ways, like all of us. And yet we go to the early books, uh, chapters of uh, the book of Acts and here is this guy. Talk about barnstorming sermons. Like this guy is just out there just preaching before his own people with incredible power. And alongside of that was a transformed life that had to be because we see in Acts chapter 2, as they shared and they, they met and they shared, um, spread throughout uh, the early believers all of their possessions, something radical was happening in them. So this wasn't just something that was said from up front, this was something that was lived. The early believers had a transformed life. And Peter is a classic example. Somehow between the death of Jesus and what we see uh, in, uh, after uh, Jesus had returned in the early book of Acts, this guy's life was turned around. This guy had had an experience of Jesus which had changed him forever. I think about this very point in my own life sometimes. And I sometimes wonder, I'm going to talk a little bit about how do we encounter Jesus and have a rich experience. But sometimes I, I wonder, am I scared? Am I actually fearful of having a rich and deep experience of Jesus? Because in many ways life is comfortable in Australia. Uh, At a missions—not a missions missions conference, but a church growth conference in uh, in Melbourne uh, last year—evangelist John Chapman gave up to uh, got up to talk, and it was uh, reported in a paper next year. And uh, it's a great great quote. He said, uh, "If heaven is better than Australia, it can only be marginal." (laughs) Great line. Life is so good here. You know, we we've been sharing about just praying, giving thanks for our context right now, our country. It's true. We have everything. We have so much. Part of me wonders if we're actually fearful of having a real encounter of Jesus, grapple who he really is for us, and what that might mean, and what it might mean with my life, and also with my wallet. But for you, when in your particular faith journey was Jesus most close to you, or in what situations we're seeing it before about uh, come to the Father. What situations does Christ most come to you? Or well, does the Spirit most, you know, somehow do something within your spirit? In what situations is that? Is it church sometimes? Is it uh, when you really get, it, get down and you, uh, you, you, you sit and reflect on the Gospels? Perhaps it's some form of just uh, getting out into creation. When you're out uh, in, in you know, this beautiful part of the world that you guys live in and just out and about, is there some way that God comes to you and you're just blown away by who he is and what he's done? I don't know. Maybe it's when you're on a, you know, on a short-term mission trip and all, all your comforts have been sort of taken away from you and you've got no, no, nothing else that you can do but trust God and he comes to you. Well, I want to encourage you, whatever the situation, put yourself in it more. What I want to say to, say to you is don't hide away from those situations, but go to them so that your experience of Christ, so that my experience of Christ, would be as rich as it possibly can be. Because mission in the 21st century, whether it's local or whether it's global, needs a first century experience of Jesus. We need to be the real deal. That guy John Wilmot, the guy who was preaching in the village with the long sleeves and then in the back of the ute, which I see a few of these driving around uh, around here today, few utes. I actually have a ute myself and uh, there was a really good one. Tim and I were, uh, where's Tim? Is he around? He's pointing out this incredible ute. It had all bells and whistles all over it. Gee, it was nice. But that's an aside. How did I go there? <laughs> Does Jono ever do this sort of, sort of going off on little tangents? Does Phil? I'm sure they don't. No. Nah. Okay. Never. By the way, you're looking very sharp tonight, John. Now I've completely lost my train of thought. Keep
2: <laughs> going, brother. Keep going. Wilmot.
0: Ah, Johnny Wilmot. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This guy, if he rolls up his sleeves, you'll see tattoos. He takes off his shirt, you turn up at his house, and he's just tattoos. The guy was in and out of Boys Town as a kid, in and out of juvenile detention centres, and he was in Pentridge Jail as a young man. This guy was right on the other side of the tracks. He encountered Christ in the potter's house, over in uh, Perth, WA, and his life is turned around. It's something incredible. You sit in that village. He's currently on a weekly basis now going through the word of God with a 1,000 Yao Muslims, helping them reflect about who is the prophet Isa, who is the prophet Jesus, and people are coming to faith. People are encountering him, Jesus, in their own culture and having a rich experience. It's incredible. And you sit in the village with John and you sit there and I cried because I don't, I don't go, wow, John, you're amazing. But I think what God can do with a life, what God can do with a life as someone as from a background like that, without all of the education, without all of the, the functional family situations that so much of us can be thankful for, what God can do with a life like that and use him in a way. He's over there in Malawi in one of the toughest mission contexts in the world and people are coming to faith. He's now launching this uh, Total Life Care, a significant development program with his wife Angie there in alleviating poverty and working with HIV AIDS. It is amazing. Here is an Australian, out there as an extension of us doing it, what God can do, what God can do with a life given to him. How's your experience of Jesus? Are you really serious about encountering him or is it about going through the motions? Sometimes I just think, what on earth am I doing? Get real. Get real. As John says himself, he says, oh, if we're not the genuine article, a Muslim will just see right through it. Because I tell you what, the Yao, they see plenty of religious people come in. He said they get all the, uh, the imams and uh, teachers from the Middle East, they come in and the people just see right through it. But they see something in John. They see something in John which just they want. And that's the, in a sense, in his life, the good news lived out and real. And it's a challenge for all of us. Mission in the 21st century requires a first century experience with Jesus. Whatever you can do, whatever you can do to encounter Jesus in a rich way, put yourself in those situations. Secondly, mission in the 21st century needs a first century method. Needs a first century method. In John chapter 17, 15 to 19, uh, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he prays that they would be uh, sent into the world, but uh, on, the, on the contrary, that they would not be of the world. He, uh, he prays that they would be protected from the evil one. From the very life of Jesus, we see some fascinating little uh, patterns. Here he was. You know Why is it that God sent his son into the Jewish context? But there's a few things that we can deduct. Firstly, Jesus lived amongst a real culture and in a real society. We know from uh, um, just reading the gospels that uh, there was temptation before him. But we also know from Hebrews 5.11 that he was without sin, or 5.7 that he was without sin. We know that he lived amongst a real society and a real culture. That he came to humanity, among humanity, but he was focused. Jesus was intentional. He stated that his call was to the lost sheep of Israel, so to be effective, I need to focus. One group in my lifetime, even though his purpose was for many, Matthew 28, 19, the good news, the the Great Commission. Where am I going? What's my point? My point is that ultimately to be effective in mission, we need to be concentrated. When we think about mission locally, it's true. We've got limited resources. You can't do everything in Madonga, but you can do a number of things really well and you can be effective. When we think about our work overseas as a local church and and as an organisation like Global Interaction, we've got to be intentional. Jesus was intentional, so we are to be intentional. We've got to focus so that we can get some outcomes, so that we can have an impact. To be effective in mission requires a long-term and concentrated focus. Whatever we do in short-term, in terms of short-term mission, we do it, to mobilise ultimately, to give people a commitment to the longer term because it's really about learning people's language. It's really about knowing their culture. As we shared this morning, it's about knowing their pains, knowing their longings and what makes them tick. And that can only happen by actually sitting with people, listening and being with them. There's no shortcuts. You can't fly in on a Bell 511 helicopter, fire off your sermon and then storm out of town. We've got to be there because that's what Jesus was for us. And so we are to be for others, whether that's in a local situation or amongst the yow. Ian Dix, the uh, other chap in that particular DVD, he's now in his mid-30s and he's been in Malawi for 10 years. And he's talking to Ben in uh, the extended interview. And by the way, if you want a copy of the uh, DVD or, or anything like that, come and see me afterwards and I'll write down your name, you won't go onto any mailing list and receive Mission Junk Mail, but you will receive the DVD. Is that good? Yeah. Okay. So if, you want to, if you're really interested in uh, mission, come and see me and I'm happy to organise that for you. But Ian Dix, uh, he's been in Malawi 10 years, talks about how for his generation, and he's talking to Ben who's 20, 22 and uh, uh, Ian's 35. You yeah, know, sometimes we want to kid ourselves that we're still young. Yeah, I do it sometimes. My daughter pulls me up something wicked. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. She told me I should do my hair like this. Do you reckon it works or what? <laughs> Is it working? No. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll push on. We'll try. We try. I just want to, you know, make my daughter proud. You know, real softy at heart. Anyway, back to Ian Dix. Back to Ian Dix. That guy, Ian Dix, remember that. Okay. He's talking to Ben. And he's talking about, you know, our generation. And uh, he says, Oh, he goes, we find it really hard to commit long term. He goes, And I did. You know, all my friends back home, they're they're doing this, they're doing this, they're under, you know, developing their houses and doing this. You know what's happening in your mid 30s or or thereabouts for most of middle Australia. He says, Here I am in Malawi. Here I am in Malawi. And he goes, I can't believe it, but now that I'm here, and I've been here eight, nine years, he goes, Now that I'm here, what an opportunity. What an opportunity! I am at the very centre of something very strategic in terms of world mission. Islam is on the rise. I know the Yao language. I know the Yao culture. This guy's doing a PhD in their stories. No one knows Yao culture better than this guy in the whole world. No one knows Yao language better than this guy. This guy is incredible, and he's passing on to our whole team. It's quite significant, right? He says, "No one. Gosh, I'm here and." I can't believe the opportunity. I've got to be on on mission with God. Mate, the fulfilment that just comes out of the guy, despite all the stress, despite all the other stuff that's going on him, the fact that he's where God wants him to be is just fulfilment. And so often that's a challenge for us, isn't it? Just thinking about where are we? But it's about being focused and intentional. It's about saying I'm willing to go somewhere and I'm willing to... Pour my energies into knowing these people, into working with them, to know their hopes and their dreams and so forth, as I've already mentioned. When we think about mission in a a first century mission context and method, we also think about uh, working closely with culture and allowing believers to stay within their communities. For too long, for too long, Western mission has taken people out of their culture. For too long, We've said to people, you have to, you have to worship in a way that somehow looks like a Western characterisation of church for too long. Those days have got to be over and they are over, at least for GIA, well and truly. We're working amongst Muslims and we're using their forms and their stories and we're saying to them, we don't want you to look anything like us. We want you to be out. We want you to worship in a way that honours your culture because it's a gift from God. And so the challenge for us when we think about a first century method, is to be a respecter of people's culture. And this is a huge challenge for the church. Think about what the early mission of the the first believers was all about. When Peter got up in Acts chapter 2 and preached that great sermon, all of his references was, and it was a Jewish context, was that all that the prophets have foretold has now been fulfilled. And guys, now is the time for Jews to come into the fullness of what they are meant to be from when time began and encountered Jesus. And it would be Jewish people who are followers of Jesus. So is now the time for Islam, for others, that they may come, a church or the Yah a church of faith community that is truly Yah. This is mission in the first century for the 21st century. When I start talking about a creative interaction with culture, some of you get excited. Like my wife and I, we're very different. We'll go to a movie and we'll sit there and I'll be thinking about, oh, gospel parallels. Oh, there's a, you know, some of you may have done a bit of uh, mission studies, you know, redemptive analogies. There's are lovely little, check it out on Google. Do a little Google on redemptive analogies. It's really good to see what you get. Okay. Anyway, uh, it's all about stories placed within cultures which sort of, point to the gospel, and which have an analogy of the gospel. It's like Harry Potter, oops, I shouldn't say that, or it's like Lord of the Rings. Okay, that's a better better example. People are more comfortable with Lord of the Rings. You know how there's an analogy of the gospel. Well, you sit in uh, sit in the movie sometimes with Christina, and I'm just a buzz with all this stuff. Yeah, Chrissy will just come out and go, gee, that was a good movie. Didn't you like the character? And it's just coming at a totally different level. Well, my mind, my mind has somehow been given... What I would call a, a mission gift. Now, some of you here tonight have that as well. A missionary gift. A missionary gift. If that's you, if I've just said, when I talk about interaction with culture, when I, when I talk about this stuff, you start to get some chills down your spine. Oh, I'm excited about that. That is a missionary gift. And I want to ask you a question tonight. What are you doing with it? What are, if you're a musician, it's great to play in the band here. It's awesome. But I'll tell you, People with a missionary gift who are musicians or who are speakers or whatever, or business people, it doesn't matter what you are, right? Hey, there's a world out there that needs you to be rubbing shoulders with it. And I would encourage you, you're thinking, that's me, he just said who I, that's, I understand what he's saying. You should be talking to your pastoral team about that. And I would encourage you to because that is a missionary gift, a resource within the life of the church that needs to be given to God. And say, well, how can we empower you in a ministry that matches your gift? Mission in the 21st century requires a first century method and people who will go with that. And this leads me to my final point. Mission in the 21st century requires a first century dispersion. Think about the early believers for a moment. Here they were. They all came to faith. We read the early books of Acts and they're all gathered in Jerusalem. But we know that as the uh, decades unfolded, something happened. The uh, Pharisees and uh, others sort of got a little bit, or continue to be quite uh, annoyed with them, and they uh, gathered on their side some of the political figures and the society at large, and a persecution came amongst, upon the early believers. And we know what happened is that those believers were dispersed to the then known world, and it was dispersion at the hands of persecution or government edict or society pressure. You now we're in a situation today where there's still 2,000 people groups who have few workers actually working amongst them and who are unreached. Most who go from birth to death without ever hearing the gospel. That's the reality of our world context. And the challenge is, and the challenge is, how are we going to disperse the church today? We have got resource after resource in our situation. I'm all for local mission. I'm all for it. Let's do it. But let's not kid ourselves. There is a inequity of resources it's all mission local and global but there is an inequity and we need a first century dispersion but you know what it's not going to come by government do you think uh, john howard's going to start persecuting us about uh, gathering here like heck we're part of the the church in australia still part of the political interest for the political parties at the moment there's an interest in being connected like Peter Costello turning up at the Hillsong Conference and, and the like. It's a big debate. We're not going to be persecuted in the near future, are we? Not in any significant way. How's the dispersion going to happen that people will go out? Only if people allow God to govern their hearts. Only if we will sit together and all of us would just say, God, if you were to send me, I will go. You can govern my heart. You can govern my life. I'll give it to you. I am yours. Take me and use me. Whether it's here amongst the uh, housing commission area just around this church, whether it's in Greater Albury, Wodonga, even over in New South Wales. Oops, some of you are probably from New South Wales. <laughs> no offence, I was born there, so I'm allowed to critique it. But I moved to Victoria and now follow a football team called Collingwood. <laughs> but anyway, I'm, I am trying to uh, bring this to a conclusion, but I keep going off on tangents, Jono's coach, coached me well, but <laughs> all I want to say to you is we need a dispersion again. And it's only going to happen if we say we will go. Will you go? Will you go to places where, like Malawi, like Mozambique, like Thailand, Cambodia, China, different places in Indonesia, will you go? Because you've allowed God to touch your heart, will you put your hand up for dispersion? Will you go with a first century method, a first century experience of Jesus and go? Who will go and minister in a context of HIV, AIDS and the, the, the poverty that sits alongside it? I'm going to close with a two-minute video from a trip we undertook with... Well, Ben was there, but we used him on another one. And this one's about Indonesia, our nearest neighbour, 240 million people right on our doorstep. It's been all in the news this year. How do we respond to that context with the gospel? Who here will say, I am available and give me a, a first century faith for a 21st century? And if that's Indonesia, so be it. If that's Malawi, so be it. Lord, send me. Or if I cannot go, I will send another. I will send another with all that I have been given. Lord, send me. Let's uh, go to that video and then we'll hand back to the worship part team.